It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The polls are open and it is the day to cast your vote. And as a result, we will not be discussing the election or politics for the next three hours. You might be delighted to hear that. Instead, we'll be getting our teeth into a variety of subjects which are just as important, if not more important, than what will happen throughout the course of the day. First up, we're talking drink driving because alcohol-related deaths on the road are actually on the rise in this country as more and more people believe that they are less and less likely to be stopped and breathalyzed. It's another sign that the police are overworked and underfunded, but it's also a symptom of a bigger problem, isn't it? And that is that we allow a far larger degree of alcohol in the bloodstream than most other European countries, something that has remained unchanged in 50 years. And if you think about all the laws that have changed over the course of the last 50 years, you might be uh, permitted to wonder why this particular law has not been changed. Surely the time has come to ban alcohol when driving altogether. I know there's going to be some numpty ringing in to say, oh yeah, but what about if you drink some uh, Listerine that might have some alcohol in it, then you get done. Well, of course you won't get done for that. Uh, or what if you produce alcohol in your bloodstream just by some kind of weird dint of chemistry? No, that's very, very rare indeed. Say to people, one rule and one rule only. If you're going to drive a car, you do not have anything to drink at all. It's quite simple. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Coming up later on, we'll be asking why half of the people working in this country fear that they are in the wrong job. Are you one of them? There might be a few people here at Talk Radio who are in the wrong job, but I don't wish to mention any names. We'd love to hear your stories, 0344 499 1000. Plus, we'll be taking a look at why the victims of Harvey Weinstein are apparently settling lawsuits with him by taking cash off him instead. I can understand why they might think that that's a good idea, but I really don't. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station in the world. It is, of course, Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, as I said, uh, we cannot touch politics today. We are going nowhere near it. The polls are open and they will close at 10 o'clock tonight. Get out and vote uh, and make your uh, feelings known about which particular party you want to vote for and get it done as soon as you possibly can because I think the weather might be turning a little bit nasty in some parts of the country. First up, though, let's talk to Chris Hobbs, former Metropolitan Police Officer, a man uh, we speak to on a great many subjects because the story of the Times this morning suggests that basically the problem in this country now is that the number of road deaths from, from... 
drink-related car crashes is actually going up, right? Uh, and there's now a call uh, from the European Transport Safety Council, uh, which basically says that it must be time, surely, to either lower the amount of alcohol that you're allowed to have in your blood, which is currently running at 80 milligrams, closer to 50 milligrams, which is what it is in Croatia, in Germany, in Italy, uh, in Greece, in Spain, in Portugal, a host of other European countries, or maybe down to 40 milligrams, which it is in Lithuania, or even 20 milligrams, which is down in Estonia and Poland and Sweden. I would say I'd rather have zero milligrams, and I don't know what Chris is going to say to me, but I think I want to hear from you on this one, because it's true to say that you very rarely see people being pulled over and breathalyzed anymore, dear. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Chris, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Yeah, hi, Mike. How are you doing? Uh, yeah, not too bad. I was having a line, actually. Ready oh, were you? For, yeah, but we mustn't mention the, the word. But, no. But, yeah, I was having a long line but when I was disturbed. Oh, but, right. But, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm well, listen, awake now, Mike. Well, we apologise uh, in retrospect <laughs> for disturbing you. But, I mean, it's not a good thing, this, is it? It's not a good look to see the number of, of uh, road uh, alcohol-related road deaths actually going up in this country because you'd like to think that a bit like smoking, a bit like sort of being incredibly drunk and disorderly, these are things of the past, which people used to do sort of, you know, as a matter of course. I mean, when I was growing up, I used to belong to a golf club down in Richmond and people used to sit in the, in the bar there drinking for hours on end and then get in a car and drive home. You know, um, occasionally they'd get done for drunk driving. But you, you, you imagine very few people now drive drunk. Um, that's right. I think there's still a hardcore. I think there's also possibly an issue with, you know, younger people who are being a bit reckless, not just with, with drink and... Right but also with drugs. Well, funnily enough, I was going to bring that up because we have no idea, really, how many people are driving around uh, under the influence of drugs because it's, one, quite difficult to measure. I know the police have now got the right to pull people over if they want to. But it's actually quite difficult, is it not, to judge whether somebody is impaired by drugs? Um, there is a testing kit out now that apparently is quite reliable. Now, I've never used it. I've not even seen it. So uh, it was it sort of um, came after my time in the police. But right. the police do use it now. Um, and as a result, a lot more people are being arrested for drug driving. But as you said earlier, the real problem, and, and if you talk to two police officers about this increase... Uh, that you spoke about it is really the fact that police officers have been cut as you've as you said traffic officers have been cut to the bone mm. and even when you look at the the response officers on the streets rushing around from call to call who are also very understaffed unless there's an accident the amount of time they have to actually stop and breathalyze someone and then take them off to custody and involved in very lengthy custody procedures. Mm. Um, it, it really is a case of the fact that um, people aren't getting stopped as much as they used to. That's, that really is the bottom line. Now, whether that's down to the fact that people are becoming more reckless, I don't think anyone can truly say. But as you say, there is a case um, for bringing the limit down. But on the other hand, I read something about a year ago where the number of drunk driving fatal accidents in Scotland compared to England, there wasn't really much of a difference. That mm. may have changed over the year. So whether it was 50 or 80, it didn't really make a huge amount of difference. You still had this hardcore that were out there that were going to drink or drive no matter what. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's the same argument about people who drive without insurance. If you're willing to do that because you know that you're breaking the law, then you're not going to be kind of persuaded not to do it because you're breaking the law, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no... 
I think that's right, and, and probably you get far more chance of being done for no insurance because you pop up now on the police's uh, computer system. Yes, and I would imagine, actually, if you get pulled over for that kind of thing, then maybe that's where they pick you up for either drug driving or, or drink driving, rather than having... I mean, I remember when they used to have roadblocks and things, and they would actually be, you know, particularly this time of year, maybe they still do it, um, they would sort of, you know, have a, have a point on a road somewhere and they would just slow everybody down and sort of breathalyse every one in seven or something. I think you'll still get that, and certainly most forces will be conducting a campaign, and I think you will see tests going up a bit, and a lot of it will be early morning because that's a time where police tend to have a quieter period and yeah. won't be rushing from call to call. Uh, and then you will see a lot of people getting breathalysed early morning, and a lot of people will be caught out. And well, do you know, it's surprising how few people still know uh, or realise that they can be done the morning after. Interestingly, um, in the little time I had, um, I, I've actually come across a on the internet a, a calculator that roughly calculates, and it does stress that this isn't reliable and every person's different, blah, 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 but it does stress that from when the time you drop, stop drinking, say, three pints, which is what I put into the system, uh, you stop drinking three pints of ordinary strength beer at 11 o'clock, and it says here you were sober at 6.57 a.m. Right. So so it's taken sort of seven hours, as it were, for that drink to clear. I was quite, yeah, I mean, I've seen, a, I've seen a similar website, maybe the same one. I was quite staggered at how long it takes to get through the system. Well, yes, yes. Uh, I must admit, it did surprise me um, that, that it took that. I, I sort of thought it would be around a, a, maybe a, a pint an hour or yeah, something, something like, like that. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah, so it's so rare. Yes, I was quite surprised as well to see it uh, as it is here. Now, I've got a, a, a text here from um, a friend of mine in Scotland who says, Scotland reduced alcohol limits to 50 milligrams in line with most European countries three years ago. No drop in those being done for drunk driving, but an increase due to lowering uh, the limit and no effect on the hardcore, but the effect on the licence trade, i.e. golf clubs, country, local pubs, has been devastating. That's an interesting one as well because I was reading in the Times piece today, that's from Donald in Scotland, by the way, uh, the Times piece today talks about the French sort of rural communities being completely decimated by the fact that they've lowered the drink drive limit, so that hardly anybody in France now goes out for a drink. Yeah, yeah I mean, there is that issue without a doubt, and certainly some pubs will suffer that the ones that are out in the country and where people go for a meal and possibly have a glass of wine and, and then drive. Um, I must admit, Mike, what I, I, I sort of used to drink a pint when after football on a Saturday afternoon. Yeah and then drive. And I stopped doing it because even after a pint, I felt that my driving, which isn't particularly good anyway... Um, but <laughs> You're I, a police I officer, that, Chris. You're supposed to be brilliant at yeah, it. Yeah, and I passed, the, I passed the standard course. Right. But um, just to let you know, Mike, the guy who passed me, the police instructor, his words, and I don't want to offend anyone, but he said to me, well, yeah, you passed, but you'll never become an advanced driver as long as I've got a hole in my arse. <laughs> so, so I never bothered after that. I uh, just pushed well, the car enough. around. <laughs> but, I mean, you know, here's, here's the, the, the shocking thing, I suppose, and, and I'm, I'm the same as you. I used to have, you know, when, even when, we, when the kids were quite young, if we'd go out to a country pub or something, you'd have lunch, might have a pint, and then, go, and then get back in the car. I'm the same as you now. I just, if I'm going to drive the car, I just don't drink anything. No. I prefer it that way. Yeah, I, I, think, I think where I'm sort of cautious is, is the morning after. Yeah. Um, because obviously if you maybe have, like I've just done, three pints in a night and, and then you get up and you feel fine. Yeah. Um, and then you drive and, in fact, you're over the limit. And I think, I think you've had some mums caught out as well, haven't you? Some, you know, on the school run. Oh, for run. sure, yeah, on the school run, definitely, yeah. 
yeah so 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 it is an issue but i think basically we still come back to this there aren't enough police and there's not enough tests being done um traffic police as we say have been decimated response officers other than the mornings are rushed, especially friday and saturday night they're rushed off their feet um so people perhaps do think well yeah you know am i likely to get stopped yeah probably i mean not. how is how, how does it work inside the sort of police stations as far as the traffic cops are concerned i remember many years ago when i lived in bath um there was a, a very brand spanking new very racy looking bmw that was parked outside the police station and you could sort of see the pride with which each member of the police force had whenever they got into it because they got to drive along on the m4 i think doing people for speeding and it was quite a glamorous looking thing but is there a separate sort of transport division in each station as it were it's not in each station there, there are traffic units and they're, they're normally based at garages um there's one fairly near me yeah uh, and they sort of ride out of there in their in their vehicles or on their motorbikes right um, but they, they they're also as you know responsible ideally for investigating accidents especially serious accidents yes and even that will take them off off the road for hours maybe days at a time if it's um you know if it's something fatal so again they're, they're sort of pushed back away from the roads where they want to be because of all the paperwork and and so on and so forth that, that naturally goes mm. with the job and they've been cut as we've said right and what about the, uh, the the people that you also see on the roads i think they're called highway patrol now or something like that which i see quite a lot on the m25 they're kind of you know they tend to be sort of those battenberg style um, sort of they look like police cars but they don't appear to be no that's right and and in fairness they they have taken some of the load off of traffic traffic police officers but not if there's um a fairly serious accident if there's a minor shunt then they can deal with it and, and their role really is safety what they will do though mike is if they do come across um, some a driver that's in trouble or maybe a minor accident and they suspect that person has been drinking then they'll call the police but they've got no means to actually test that individual right, and okay. generally speaking if they if you are involved in an accident as a matter of course um the tendency is to, to breathalyse someone, especially at this time of year. So if you do have a shunt, even if it's not your fault, there, there's a good chance... Well, that's the thing, you, you know, that's why you wonder why people even risk it, because if it's not so much what you're doing, but if somebody else hits you and you've had too many uh, drinks to be driving, you're going to get done. And and, and, the, and the big effects, but for perhaps even not as worrying, perhaps for some people, as, as getting uh, a fine, is your insurance goes through the roof. Yes, that's right. Yes, your insurance will go through the roof, and it, it, it really is. It's an extra. It's an extra fine on top of what you'll be paying. Right. Call, and that's after you, you've served your ban, because mm. you will get banned. Um, I mean, interestingly, when you're talking about breathalysing someone involved in an accident, when I was in the police, I stopped for a minor accident right. on the M25, um, and it was pitch black, and the car was sort of sticking out into the lane, and, mm. the, and the the people were clustered around the car, so I thought, stop, get people away, blah, 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 uh, which I did. And, my God, what a scary place out, out there on the hard shoulder oh, in bet. pitch black. Yeah. But, the, but then Hart's police turned up, and they wanted to breathalyse me. <laughs> and did they? No, no, the second word I used was off. Uh -huh. um, and showed him my warrant card and got him. Yeah, well, card. you could get away with stuff like that. If I did yeah. that, they'd, they'd put me in handcuffs and throw me yeah, in the back of the, the, back of the paddy now. wagon, I think, wouldn't they? Yeah, but I thought, you know, there's me stopping doing my, my off-duty yeah. police act. And, and they were, no, they, they, were, they, had, they had a bit of a smile, I must admit, and then got on with, with making <laughs> sure the people were safe. No, exactly right. So where would you stand then, Chris, on, on reducing the number? Uh, we're told in Scotland it's not working to reduce the actual milligrams of, uh, of alcohol in the bloodstream. What about just banning it altogether? Would that be better? 
I think there's always a risk, isn't there? With a, no, I, you know, it, then you really are going to get people who are quite competent to drive, um, especially, say, in the early morning being pulled over. I think as far as pubs and licensing are concerned, it will probably wreck, completely wreck the licensing trade. Right. And I'm not sure that if you've got small amounts uh, in your bloodstream the next morning, it really is going to have any dramatic effect on your driving. Right. Uh, and then, of course, you, you would need the police around to do it. But as we said, early morning, it, there's more of a chance probably these days if you get involved. But it's like a lot of things regarding the police and the police kind of presence in, in situations, isn't it? Because, I mean, I think if you see more police on the roads, even if they're sitting uh, on a hard shoulder or they're sitting in those little, you know, those little sort of pumps that they have sometimes at the side of motorways or they're occasionally seen in laybys, I think people might have a different view of how they behave. Whereas if they don't see them at all, I don't think they, they worry about it. No, that's right. I mean, you know, if sort of moving generally to the lack of police, when I walk up later on along the Uxbridge Road yeah. um, where I live, which is a busy arterial road, now you often see police charging around on blue light yeah. because they are busy. Yes. But I will probably see umpteen what people would call trivial offences. It could be riding on the footway, which is quite normal where I am. Um, people who are very drunk and are aggressive, street drinkers, yeah. people selling stolen goods right. on the pavement. I'll probably see four or five what will be described as minor offences on my walk-in this morning. Um, and frankly, it irritates me that I'm seeing it. I don't yes. like people who are riding on the footway. But there is, you know, you will not, or you you will only rarely see police officers. And if you if you beach. do something about that, for example, confront the individual, or maybe worse, shove him in some direction and say, get off the pavement. You know, you'll be the one that gets done probably. That's right. And to be quite honest, some of the people who ride on the pavement, you you would almost certainly be in a confrontation. Yeah. And these days, who knows what the person you're in the confrontation yeah. with might produce. Of course. I mean, I got into one of those a couple of years back. In fact, it was probably more than five or six years ago. And I came out and was down in Surrey Keys. And there was a, um, I literally came out for dry cleaners. I mean, dropped some stuff in there. Suddenly walked out, heard this bell behind me um, and sort of turned around. There's a guy on a bike riding a bike and, you know, looked relatively harmless. And I said, why don't you go on the road? And he put the bike down and started swearing up to me. Yeah. And was like, do you want me to beat the hell out of you? And all this, he was swearing, shouting, started taking his gloves off, you know. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? It's 10 o'clock in the morning, you know. Um, and it was just bizarre, but it could have easily escalated. And I thought to myself, because I'm a bit more sensible now than I used to be, I thought, I don't really want to get into a fight with this guy. Um, and then, you know, somehow get involved with the police and get, you know, I've got children to take care of, you know, what's going on? And I just let him go away. But it was immediately apparent to me that that kind of thing probably happens on, a, on an hourly basis all over London. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that I certainly wouldn't have a go at someone for now because, like you say, you just do not know what you're going to get into. And right. there's no doubt about it, life on the streets now, I think for everybody, is much more violent than it used to yes. be. Yeah, there's no, no question about that. Chris, thanks very much indeed. Chris Hobbs, former Metropolitan Police officer. You know, we can talk about the, the life on the streets uh, part of this, if you like, but certainly the absence of police officers, generally speaking, that you see, uh, particularly if you're driving around on the roads, particularly if you're out and about on the motorways, you just don't see them. I was going home in a cab last night uh, from the Christmas party, which was round the corner from the office here, and about four police cars came screaming past me um, at some speed, obviously going to some major event or other, um, but that's about the only time you now see them, going at high speed, chasing somebody. You don't really just see them looking for people who might be driving while under the influence of drugs or driving while under the influence of drink. A lot of people are saying to me, well, what's the point of reducing the limit uh, if people are still going out and drinking and driving? 
Surely the answer is to have more police out there in a more visible way. More gun talk from a water pistol from the farmer of fury. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Hey, Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. We're here all the way through until one o'clock, of course, when Matthew Wright takes over. And then tonight from 10, uh, we have got the world's greatest election coverage for you uh, with Julia Hartley Brewer picking up the reins at 10 o'clock, bringing you all the exit polls and the first results, which will probably be coming in from the northeast of England. Uh, lots, lots more going on throughout the night. Uh, you won't want to miss any of that. We can't talk about it right now because the polls are open. Uh, and while that is going on, uh, we are going to talk instead about Jimi Hendrix, parakeets and dead starlings. Imagine that. Apparently, according to legend, Jimi Hendrix, who's credited with a great many things, was supposedly uh, the guy responsible for introducing parakeets into this world uh, of Britain because apparently he let two uh, native parakeets named Adam and Eve uh, loose on a Carnaby Street uh, a day out in 1968. Apparently, that turns out not to be true. Let's talk uh, to Mark Avery, co-founder of Wild Justice. Uh, Dr Mark, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Hi there. Not very often you could put, uh, I suppose, uh, ornithology and Jimi Hendrix together, but uh, but here we are, and we find ourselves looking at page three in the Times in which they're <laughs> saying this is no longer uh, a true story, so can we stop saying it? Uh, yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? It is. Great story. Yeah. I mean, uh, it always seems a bit unlikely. There, there's <laughs> another version that um, when they were filming The African Queen... Oh, yeah. Uh, there were some parrots used in that, and they escaped, which would have been a long while before Jimi Hendrix. Yes. I must admit, I mean, I, I have had some experiences. I was driving along Westway once about uh, three or four years ago, uh, around about this time of year, and suddenly a whole sort of, you know, flock of them flew across the, the road. It was about... Yeah, look, what time look, of day was that then? It was... Uh, I think it was sort of early to mid-afternoon or something yeah. like that. Well, you see, one of the... I mean... People who live in basically London, bits of Kent, the southeast, will many of them will know this bird, partly because it's bright green yeah. and it's a parrot. Yes. You don't need to be an expert birder to know you're looking at something <laughs> different. And it makes a hell of a noise. Yeah. It squawks all the time. Right. But late in the afternoon, uh, they go off and roost in okay. big uh, congregations. So there's one... Uh, uh, on Wormwood, uh, Wormwood Scrub. Yeah, it, was up, up, it was not far from there, actually. I was yeah. just coming past Shepherd's Bush. Yeah, well, there you go. There we good are. Good guess on my part. Very there good. Were, um, this is amazing. thousands of them yeah. there. Um, they'll be there this evening, I right. think. Good. Mitcham Common is another place, but okay. there are various places. And, and the, people, the people I was in the car with said that they thought uh, that much of the population in West London had come somehow from Kew Gardens at one point or other. Well, no, I mean, they certainly live in Kew Gardens, and they might be... Uh, producing lots of young, but, yeah. you know, that bit of um, southwest London, Esher, Kew, Richmond, that was a place where they were certainly common, but they're spreading and spreading. So this is a bird you can see in the north of England and even in Scotland in small numbers, Okay, but they're getting commoner and commoner. So I remember the first time I saw one in central London in St. James's Park was probably about... 
12 years ago. All right. Every time I walk through St. James's Park now, I'll hear them, and if I look around, you I see will them, see yeah. them. And, I and, suppose, the, and, and so is the population growing, as it were? Do they, yeah. not, do they not have a sort of main predator well, that comes for them? Well, interestingly enough, peregrine falcons, which are now a lot commoner in central London than they used to be, right. they will nail the old ring-necked parakeet, but okay. I don't think they're going to wipe them out. All so, right. you know, there's plenty of food for them, partly food we put out in our gardens. They're, this bird comes from northern India, uh, foothills of the Himalayas. I've seen them in, in Delhi in the past, which is where that's the type of place they live. Mm. They're not going to be put off by a few cold winters in this country um, or hot summers. So, Well, funny enough, I mean, funny enough it, was so, it was so kind of mild at the weekend. I was in some woods down in Sussex and I, I swear I could see some buds on some, some of the bushes down there because I think everyone's a bit confused. No, that's right. I was uh, pruning the small apple tree in my garden at the weekend and uh, there were buds on that and that's a that is a confused tree yeah really <laughs> well we shall see how that goes and what about this other weird story up in uh, anglesey where several hundred dead starlings were discovered uh, on a road um and several others on hedges nearby what do you make of that um stumped really, really? i mean <laughs> this type of thing happens every now and again yeah and it happens all over the world uh, where suddenly hundreds of dead birds are found. Um, it'll take some looking into. Mm. I, I, I saw some reports that suggested that they these birds had been seen feeding on the road beforehand. OK. Um, and if so, it kind of suggests that there may have been something spilled on the road and they all swooped down. So maybe something came off a lorry or something like that. What do you mean? But, and then they ate it and were poisoned? And they ate it and were, were poisoned. Oh, but yeah. that's a complete guess. I mean, there are no large buildings around there. No. There are no pylons. And some and of them are on like hedges that. nearby as well, which would suggest they've all fallen out of the sky. Yeah. Well, there is, that's a lot we need to learn about birds and nature, but... Um, well, yeah, uh, I mean, I was wondering if puzzling. it was some very, kind of... Very puzzling. I was wondering, if, without wishing to drift off into the political sphere, because I'm not allowed to talk about that, whether it's some kind of uh, omen of some of some kind or other. Uh, I'm sure a few hundred years ago we, we would um, all be... Uh, be torching somebody. the end of the world if yeah. a load of starlings flew out, right. fell out of the sky. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe that's coming tomorrow, who knows? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's weird, isn't it? Because, the, I mean, the, 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 the bird population of, of this country seems to me, and you may correct me if I'm wrong here, seems to me to be pretty sort of uh, hard-wearing. You know, there's so many birds. There's so many... I mean, I hear them all the time. I mean, where, where I'm at the weekends down in Sussex, there's thousands of birds, beautiful bird song every morning. You know, despite whatever we hear about what's going on uh, in, the, in the sort of climate and the environment, we seem to have plenty of birds. Um, I think you're partly wrong, Uh well, I'll go with you. Them. Start, I'll go you with sound terribly wrong. young to me. I mean, you're obviously right that you ought to enjoy that bird song because birds and other wildlife are fantastic. Yeah. They're a free gift. But um, our wildlife is suffering. So just take starlings. You think starlings, common bird, see them all the time, loads of starlings. Yeah. Half as common as they were 40 years ago. Mm. They've halved in numbers. If the UK human population had halved in the last 40 years, We'd regard that as an absolute crisis. You would. We? But is that not partly due to the magpies? No, no. Well, to do with might, the magpies? Be, might be. Because there's a lot more two. magpies around than there, are, than there used to be. Yeah, but starlings nest in holes, so they, they've sussed out how to 
you know, they don't make open nests that magpies could get to. So right. darlings now it's to do with agriculture mostly because uh, starlings like grassland uh, where they can find lots of insects in the summer. When you see starlings in the summer uh, carrying food to their nest, they have one big insect in their beaks mm. each time. Right. And they're finding it more and more difficult to find that big insect. So they come less and less often to their nests and produce fewer young. That's okay. the problem for, with starlings. Right. This time of year, there are millions of starlings from Eastern Europe swirling around uh, countryside because they've all come here because the winters are warmer okay all right well maybe these are eastern european starlings that have fallen out of the sky in uh, anglesey then they might be might it's possible be, yeah the plot thickens excellent <laughs> dr mark avery to make some political <laughs> remark but let's no not. Let's, let's not go there no we can't dr mark avery thank you very much co-founder of wild justice uh, talking about the strange and unusual um uh, sight of 250 odd starlings dead uh, on a road in anglesey the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 03444991000 is the number. We've got some great tweets coming in, actually. You can tweet us, of course, at Talk Radio, at I-R-O-M-G. Uh, here's one from uh, uh, Gon, who says, I couldn't imagine working for the same company for decades, sat in the same rat race of rush hour traffic, the same route, day in and day out. Well, I think that's the thing. For a lot of people, they are actually able to do that, which is remarkable. It really is, because you have to have some allowance of, um, of tolerance to be able to put up with doing the same thing day in, day out for sort of 40 years or something like that. Lots of you want to get on uh, today, so let's start uh, taking some phone calls because that's what we do here uh, on Talk Radio. 0344 499 1000. Henry, uh, first of all, is in the Cotswolds. Hello, Henry. Morning, Mike. Good morning. Firstly, may I thank you for squeezing in a little bit of Jimi Hendrix? Uh, <laughs> yes, it's rather good to hear, isn't it? It, it, it reminded me, I uh, play a little guitar, which is associated with the story I'm about to tell you. Okay. But first of all, can I just squeeze in another one? Because you talk about things that are uh, not quite true on the uh, music front. Yes. The uh, the boys from Black Sab used to live around the corner from me, so I spent a lot of time partying with them. Many, My many goodness. And you survived. Well, I think only one of us did, and it, it definitely <laughs> wasn't Ozzy. Um <laughs> I'm joking there, obviously. Of course. But you see, there was always that story about him biting the bat or something yes. on stage. Yes. That's absolute nonsense. Yes, I, I believe that to be nonsense. Absolutely right. It's like it, people it, used to it, think that, that Alice Cooper bit the heads off chickens, which he also never did. That, that's right. Oh, Alice is a good golfer, very nice, he is. Clean, living, clean living chap. Yes. Anyway, this is a story. I've got a, a wee farm in um, Poland. Okay. And about uh, every week I used to hop on my bicycle to travel three miles there and back, or three miles each way and spend the day just in this beautiful village having a few drinks. My dog used to hop onto my uh, basket. And I think, anyway, uh, I was told in one place I was in that uh, a local guitarist would like to meet me. And, uh, mm -hmm. Would I mind waiting here and he'll be here very soon? So right. this boat turned up and we had a bit of a jamming session. And um, after that, actually, we had a bit more of a jamming session. And... Uh, 
at the end of a time, he said to me, uh, you know, I'd really like to play with you again. When will you be next year? I said, well, I normally come probably next week. Okay. Well, the poor chap, he was so downcast. He said, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm going to prison next week. <laughs> he, was hoping, he was hoping I could come in the next couple of days. Right. Why was he going to prison? Well, wait for it. Yes. So, of course, my mind's going, gosh, what, what am I going to hear now? Um, and it was, at this time, as well, we'd... Uh, done the session in public and we were having a, a jam at his place. Right. And it was just the two of us, I think his wife was somewhere about, and uh, I was expecting the worst, of course. Do you know what he'd done? What? He'd been stopped by the police um, on his bicycle for being over the uh, drink-drive limit. Goodness, what, so drunk in charge of a bicycle? That's right, and every week I'd been doing this trip to and fro, having a nice, nice day out. And, uh, of course, he was doing this to warn me as well that, uh, you know, you must be careful. Goodness, yeah, because everybody assumes that countries uh, in sort of some parts of Eastern Europe are a lot less strict about stuff like that. Interesting story, Henry. Thanks very much indeed for telling us. Drunk in charge of a bicycle. Amazing. I mean, I used to go on uh, cycling around uh, London quite a bit in my sort of late teens. I'm sure that I could have been done for that at some point or other. Let's talk to Paddy, uh, who's in Suffolk. Hello, Paddy. Hiya, Mike. How are you? Oh, very well. Greetings of the th season. Yes. On that theme of being drunk, um, yeah. an ex-girlfriend of mine was done for being drunk in charge of a horse. Oh, really? Yes. I didn't know you could be done for that. Oh, yes. Was that in, in Britain? Yes, of course, yes. Yeah, OK. Uh, uh, yes, yeah, so the mysterious birds. Um, I don't think it's a mystery. Um, it, no? It's not an omen. It's not an omen. Okay. Um, Greta or Damien weren't involved. <laughs> it, <laughs> it's partly it's birds of prey. They chase the flock. Yes. The, the flock flies down towards the ground and hundreds of them don't pull up in time. Oh, really? So they, what, so they literally crash into the ground? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, thousands of years ago, people used to do the same thing to catch wild animals. They used to chase wild animals off cliffs. And you'd think the wild animal would just stop and yeah. go over the cliff. But obviously, um, the birds don't mean to crash into the ground. It's just they, they just, they're like, they're not uh, infallible. Right. Uh, they're very, they're, I find birds quite intriguing, though. My sister once was in Scotland. My dad and she used to go sort of hiking in the Cairngorms, and they found themselves somehow on the top of some cliffs, right? And there was a massive great bird which looked like some kind of seabird, and I can't remember where, I think we did identify it, but it had very big feet, and it swooped down, it apparently took exception to the fact that they were quite near the nest or something like that, which was on the cliff, and the bird swooped down and kept trying to hit her on the head with its feet and, like, push her off the edge. Oh, of course. Here in the Sussex town where I live, uh, it's full of seagulls. And oh, be... seagulls are disgusting things. Yeah. I hate and them. Strangely, in this town, occasionally you'll see a bird of prey catch a seagull in the middle of time. Really? Yeah. You know, that must street. be quite a spectacle. Yeah, um, a friend of mine took a, f a few photographs of one mm. where the, 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 the uh, bird of prey is on top of the seagull and right. like, got it by the throat or whatever. Shocking. But that's what's happened with these mysterious birds. It's been a bird of prey. It's been chasing the flock. You, you see them shimmer, the flock. Thousands so, you, yes, OK, so you think it's a sort of a mass uh, dive into the ground. Well, you may be right, Paddy. You may well be right. And let's talk to Daniel, who's in Epsom, wants to talk about parakeets, I think. Hello, Daniel. Mike, I want to talk about these green parakeets. Yeah. I, live in, I live in Epsom, or Yule, actually. And right. 
I've got, I've got a tree-lined road, and in the summer when you open the windows, it is horrendous from about six in the morning to squawking. Really? Oh, mate, they're a scourge, I'm telling you. It's a, and there's loads of them in the trees. I don't know if they're getting fruity in the summer or what's going on, but they are noisy. And do you reckon there's more of them now, then? Oh, there's loads of them. They're everywhere, around sort of these steps and your, that kind of neck of the neck of the woods. They're you're talking, you're talking funny into your phone. I don't know what's going on. Can you say it oh, again? Can you, can you hear me now, Mike? That's better, yeah, you go on. I mean, they're, they're, they're absolutely a scourge. They're everywhere, mate. Right. And, when, and I've got another bird story as well. I saw a buzzard take out a pigeon in my back garden. Really? And the first day I moved into my house, yeah. strangely, yeah. it's never happened before, but a robin flew in through the back door right. and tried to find its way out and then ended up settling in the sink. And my wife kind of How interesting. it. Well, yeah, do you remember? You might remember there was a, a few a few months back. There was a woman who rang me up, and as she was on the phone to me, telling me that a bird had flown into her house, another bird flew into her house. <laughs> <laughs> and she had to maybe, go. Maybe you got an invite. <laughs> well, uh, I said uh, if you got some kind of a sign up there or something where they're all. <laughs> but you know how sometimes birds will find. When I was when I was at school in Maryland, pigeons because it was like glass on both sides of the building, pigeons would sometimes just fly into the glass because they thought they could fly straight through. You know, oh, they just man. splat themselves on the on the window. Well, my my wife's very kind of superstitious in nature. She's half Italian. She's got a bit of, you know, she's, she sees mediums and all that. Yeah, yeah. She said, she was saying to me on the day it happens, this is really bad now. But when a bird flies in your house, this is like really? a bad omen. But yeah, I mean, nothing bad happened apart from we, we're still together. <laughs> <laughs> very harsh. I hope she's not listening. Thanks very much indeed. Uh, Daniel there in Epsom. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, for the last several months, I suppose, um, we've been watching uh, various things happening at Boeing over in the United States of America, over in Washington State, uh, where they have their um, uh, their headquarters, uh, Seattle, I think it is. Um, and uh, basically, they've been trying uh, to say that they are fighting against the terrible things that happened, where the two planes crashed, killing a couple of hundred people uh, because of a design flaw in a 737 MAX plane. Um, they've re-released the plane now, I believe, and they've called it something else. Well, let's talk to Julian Bray, uh, who will know far more about this uh, than I do. Julian, a very good afternoon to you. Thank you for joining good afternoon. us. Um, it's been a terrible uh, period, this, for Boeing, and, and obviously I don't mean in any way to be disrespectful to, to those who died in the two plane crashes, but as an aviation company, what you don't really want to have to defend is, is a design flaw in a plane which people should have been told about but who weren't told about. Yes, you're quite right. And, of course, uh, there's so many criticisms. For example, the American Regulatory Authority, the FAA, has also been accused of uh, allowing Boeing to self-certify various aspects of the process that the FAA should be carrying out. Right. And so they've tightened up on that. And, in fact, there's a new boss there called Steve Dixon who's playing very hard ball with Boeing. Now, I've been saying for ages this plane is not going to fly till 2021. Right. He's now saying, well, yeah, possibly 2020 and possibly longer. Mm. The problem being, of course, is that um, the, 7, the 737 was a very good aircraft. Ryanair have a 737 fleet, for example. Yeah. And what they did, they said, look, we've got to increase the payload, but they've, we've actually got to reduce the fuel consumption by 30%. They said, right, we'll put two huge engines right on the front of the aircraft. Right. They're not slung under the wings. They're slung in front of the wings. And uh, that will do it. That will bring down the consumption. You'll get a better payload, uh, better return, cost less in fuel. 
But, of course, if you try and balance a pencil on your finger, the finger has to be right in the middle of the pencil, yes, right? Yes, right. But, unfortunately, the heavy weight of the engines at the front means that the nose is always going to tip downwards. Mm, right. So they said, right, we'll put in a clever piece of software. It won't tell anybody about it, but all it'll do, it will just keep raising the nose up or lowering the nose of the aircraft silently in the background. Pilots need know about it, that's what they said right at the beginning, because it'll just be there, sitting in the background, doing what it's supposed to do. And this will be activated by a little sensor at the front. It's called the angle of attack. And uh, unfortunately, this little sensor didn't work properly. So what happened was the aircraft kept going down by five degrees, down five, another five degrees, until it's actually pointing at the ground. Yeah. And there's nothing the pilots could do about it. And they as, as they tried, and yeah, my understanding was as they tried to sort of manually lift the nose up somehow, um, that would sort of make it worse. Well, yes, because uh, the because the software was fighting against it. So, yeah. oh, there's there's we need to correct this, and so it 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 descended another five degrees down. So the more they tried to pull it pull back or pull it up, uh, the greater would be the angle downwards, and an absolute nightmare. And the software is called MCAS, right. and they say they've uh, revised it and they're going to put it in. They've tested it. But uh, the FAA don't, are not really buying this. Uh, they're saying there's about 12 more stages to go before they'll even consider looking at it. And then, once the FAA have finished with it, then, of course, every regulator throughout the world is now very, very interested. Right. And they will have to also recertify this aircraft. Now, just to pile on the agony, if you like... There are hundreds of these planes that have been parked up in car parks, would mm. you believe, and behind factories and things all over the world. China has a license to make these. They've, they've got about uh, nearly 200 of these aircraft sitting right. there. And so they've all got to be retrofitted. And, you know, if you don't do anything to your car for a year or so, just leave it in one place. Um, certain things had to be done before you use it again. Yes. Well, same thing with the aircraft. Uh, nobody's really touched it. So it's major works for every individual aircraft. It's an extraordinary um, mess, isn't it? Because the, the cost alone of just manufacturing aircraft is massive, isn't it? So all of these planes, as you say, sitting empty in various parts of the world are presumably costing Boeing money just by being there. And also... Um, my problem when this happened, was, certainly when the second crash happened, because, you know, the first crash, obviously, nobody was absolutely sure that it was a, a design fault. Second one, absolutely, became very clear. I know lots of people who have said to me, I'm not getting on one of those planes. I'm just not going to do it. And so any airline will have to sort of take that into account because, I mean, I, even I would... I mean, I don't fly as much as I used to, but I think if I found out I was going to fly on one of these things, I might, I might be a bit reticent. Well, yes, and that's why they are subtly changing the name of the... Uh uh, the plane, the MAX, is going to disappear. Yeah, and that's it, a bit would, naughty, isn't it? And it'll just be the 737-8. Right. Um, so Ryanair have already got one liveried up, mm. and pictures were leaked, and so we thought, oh, this is interesting. Mm. Uh, but, of course, everybody's zoomed in on that now, so that they're absolutely <laughs> looking at Boeing and uh, everybody connected with this particular aircraft. And, of course, Airbus are saying this is marvellous because it means that uh, our aircraft are, yeah. are now being uh, favoured and Boeing orders are, well, all the potential orders they won at two years ago at Farnborough. Now, I remember seeing this aircraft flying around. I thought, God, this is amazing. 
and other people are still say yes but it's um there are a few technical things they mm. need to sort out so yes well you might say that then. i mean also the story today that we're seeing is that the faa began an analysis after the first crash uh, of lion air back in october last year um but before the ethiopian airlines crash which was obviously early uh, earlier this year and the, the, the details of the analysis were never published, basically. But this has been disclosed now in the House of Representatives in America. Um, and that, that seems to me to be verging on the criminal. Well, yes. In fact, in fact what it was, uh, these were kind of what they'd like to call scoping documents, right. uh, where they're saying, this is a possibility and uh, we've modelled this and we think that might have happened. There was no absolute definitive um, cause established then but these are possible lines of inquiry, mm. as I understand it. Right. The story keeps changing, but the point is quite a few people knew, and quite a few people high up in the Boeing structure and high up in the FAA structure knew that this was happening. And it's only when the second uh, air crash came in, killing all those people, uh, that suddenly things started to go up quite a few notches. And then they finally grounded the plane and... Uh, uh, they've started, well, the investigation, if mm. you like, to find out what's happened. But the amazing thing was, when it was originally released, this MCAS software, it only rated one single line in the operations manual. There was no training at all for it. Uh, but, you know, they could have actually pushed two buttons in the on the flight deck, yeah. and that would have uh, cut the... Uh, MCAS out completely, but nobody told them about it. Well, that it. was the other weird thing, because again, at the time, uh, supposedly, they were told that they had been given training, uh, or we were told that they had been given training, then it emerged that they really hadn't. Are you surprised, uh, by the way, Julian, that, that the Boeing sort of chiefs are still sitting there? Because they've said, obviously, that, you know, they feel very responsible and they want to be in charge of fixing everything and all of that, and that's why they're not walking away. But it seems remarkable, doesn't it? Um, yes, also, because we had a situation where the chairman and chief executive were one and the same person. Yeah. And uh, I do wonder about this. They're, they're trying to do a mere culpa at the moment, mm. but as you say, they're still in power, still in place. Still making a lot of money. Still, well, yes, shed loads of money. Well, not quite such a big shed load now, shall we say. Uh, and also the insurance companies at uh, Backbone are uh, feeling it now because obviously Boeing are going back and claiming against their insurance. Mm because they'd insured against these losses and the legal actions that are going on. And there's a whole stack of legal actions waiting to go as soon as uh, the definitive report comes out from the FAA. Right. Uh, because you've got to realise that airlines have lost money and parking fees for an aircraft. Yeah, I was going to well. say, I mean, who's paying Airport for all this? Airport parking, hmm. I mean, right, presumably you'd be passing the bill on to Boeing if you were an airline, wouldn't you? I think so. And also consequential loss, uh, you name it, it goes on and on and on. But so there's still a good decade of lawsuits to come on that particular yeah. one. I mean, I suppose it's too late now, but you, you, you might be sort of inclined to suggest to, to Boeing, maybe it's not such a good idea to produce this plane at all, just come up with a completely new plane. Well, you've now hit, uh, hit on another part of this because it was actually built on the original 737 airframe. Okay. And they put some modifications in, but they didn't modify. They didn't start it from, uh, from square one. They didn't start with a blank canvas. They said, no, we've got a very good aircraft. All we'll do is stick these whacking great mm. engines on the front. And, of course, uh, now they're looking at the airframe and there's reports of stress fractures in places where there shouldn't be stress fractures. And so, obviously, they're going to have to look at that. They are already 
retro manufacturing sections of airframe mm. to be bolted back into uh, all these aircraft when they come in for all the modifications and updates and things. And also during the process, the production process, they literally stop producing them. And there are some uh, half-painted planes parked up around the factory and around various assembly plants. And all those are going to need to be sort of uh, the paint taken off and everything examined again and uh, x-rayed just to see what's happened. It really yeah. is a mess. It really is. I mean, a mess doesn't... I mean, I called it a mess earlier. I don't think, I'm not sure that covers it, to be honest. Uh, it's an yeah, absolute disaster. Yeah, I think you've understated it. It yeah. is a disaster. I'm uh, amazed that this company's actually surviving it, to be honest, because presumably... Um, I'm obviously they're a very wealthy organisation, but, uh, but it must be knocking a massive hole in their uh, profits. Well, you've got to remember, of course, that they make an awful lot of defence equipment. Yes. And uh, so that's where the big money is. And uh, so this whole programme gets bolted onto the back of that. So the company is, is well-resourced in, shall we say, that way. Uh, the problem here, of course, is that uh, aircraft, they change. We used to have wide-bodied aircraft at one time. Now the favoured thing is a single-aisle, narrow-bodied aircraft mm. because payloads change, passengers' habits change. And we're actually getting new airports where you can actually go from, directly from one airport to another airport rather than uh, changing onto another aircraft. Yes. There's no spoken hub anymore, as, they use, as the technical term was. Right. You now fly direct from one destination to another. Mm. Because the aircraft can fly longer, it's more efficient, fuel efficient. And this was the idea behind the changes, the original change to the 737. Okay. It burns less fuel, goes further. Yeah, well, I mean, it was a great idea, but unfortunately it hasn't quite turned out like that. Julian, thanks very much indeed. Julian Bray, aviation security expert with the lowdown uh, on what's happening with the Boeing 737 MAX. They're changing the name, right? Uh, they're fixing it up. They're telling us that it's not going to crash anymore and it's now going to be called a Boeing 737-8. I don't think I'm getting on one of those, I'm afraid. Uh, if I found out that I was going on a flight and that was the plane that we're going to use, I think I would have to seriously consider actually not getting on it. I'm not joking. Uh, uh, here's one from uh, uh, from David Spencer. Enjoying your bird chat. We once found a sparrowhawk in an upstairs bedroom. It had chased a blue tit into the house. The blue tit managed to escape from our landing window, but the sparrowhawk needed lifting out of the window, having seemed quite at home on top of a guitar. And Pete says he checked into a hotel in Wales once. On entering the bedroom, there was a seagull which had flown in through the open window. The room was a mess shall we say. Yeah, I can imagine. And Todd says, London bus driver was by far the worst job I've had. Greet any traveller with good morning and you're lucky to get a grunt in return. Uh, and Fume says, travelling on the M6 near Carlisle once, a pigeon flew into the windscreen of our van while my family and I were on our way back from Scotland. Caused some panic with the kids and the wife, left feathers and blood. The pigeon didn't make it. No, terribly sad story, that. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.